you're listening to the Telltale Channel. Don't forget to check me out on all social media, Patreon, Twitter, Teespring, and Etsy. All links can be found in the description or on my website, telltaleatheist.com. Hey, this is Owen. If you're comfortable, leave your first name and state at the sound of the tiny truck backing up. Hey, Owen, this is DJ from North Carolina again. You know, when I think about the times that I spent in church and everything as a Christian, there's a lot of stuff that maybe it wasn't super harmful, but it was just very cringe. Um, I was wondering if you had an interesting story about things that you have said and done that was just very cringe. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, I think the cringiest shit that ever happened in my young life was probably the things that my mom did and not things that I did necessarily. My mom used to be the person, the Jehovah's Witness, who would like, she'd give answers at the meetings because they have a segment, uh, like a question and answer segment where they read a piece of propaganda to you. Then they ask the audience a question and the audience raises their hands and regurgitates basically what they just heard from that propaganda piece to affirm exactly what they're trying to cement in your mind. So anyways, my mom would be the one that would give two three-minute long answers that were entirely too personal, like way too fucking personal. She also actually asked, um, there was a woman that was studying at the Kingdom Hall, like trying to become a Jehovah's Witness, you know? And my mom asked her how far along she was, and she was not pregnant. That's not a specifically religious thing, that's just so fucking, my mom is just an incredibly cringy person. Here's another one, okay? When I was young, apparently, so my dad was in a wheelchair, turns out he has Munchausen syndrome. He didn't actually need the wheelchair. Uh, that's a different story for a different day. But he would call in to the meetings, like the Jehovah's Witness meetings. He'd call in on the phone and listen in while we were at home so that we could still participate or whatever else, right? I just found out not long ago from an ex-Jehovah's Witness that I knew in my old congregation when I was younger. He told me that there was some mix-up with the phone system and my dad was, like, yelling at us and berating us and screaming during the meeting with the phone unmuted, and it came in through the speaker system right in the middle of the, the meeting. That's pretty fucking cringy. That's some shit that keeps me up at night, thinking about all that. Uh, my dad, as most of you know, is very, very abusive, physically and mentally. Um, but... Aside from that, I actually asked this question out of curiosity on YouTube and on Twitter. I asked, what are the cringiest things you've ever done as a cult member or a religious person? And I got some interesting answers, so I figured we'd take a look at the top ones. Here's the top answer. This is from CloudFa11. In high school, I was part of a Christian club, and we would walk around the campus during lunch holding hands, standing in a circle, and praying. We would stand by the trophies and ask God to strip the athletes of their pride. We would stand by the awards and ask God to strip the academics of their pride and worldly desires, etc. Wow, was I cringy back then. We all were, CloudFa11. We all were. LK, I stopped being religious a long time ago. Cringiest thing I can remember doing was actually crying at those pro-life movie maker slideshow videos of the fetus 
talking when in its mother's womb and screaming when it was aborted while I was seven or something. Wow, that's disturbing. (laughs) The Fields. I forced myself to cry during the first God's Not Dead movie because I thought it would impress a Christian girl and show her my soft side. I cringe to this day. That's pretty fucking cringy. Let's take a look at one more. Prayed and cried in front of a Christmas tree because I hadn't turned straight yet. Still haven't lull. That's pretty cringy. We've all done some pretty cringy shit. I just thought it was interesting to revisit some of that. So anyway, thank you for the voicemail. I appreciate it. Hey, Owen. My name's Brian. Um, I've always had this wonder because I've listened to your, um, listened to like a lot of videos you talk about stuff. And with Trump, with Trump pastors, what I'm wondering though is that what's the motive? Like, what's the payoff that they're wanting to get? Like, are they worried that Biden's going to make them lose their tax exempt status? Are they worried that their following is going to die out because the world's going more atheist? Like, what is the motive behind the Trump pastors? So I've been talking about these Trump pastors for a while now. People like Johnny Anlow and Hank Koneman and others. These pastors have prophesied that God gave them a vision that told them that God was going to make Trump president again for 2020. And, of course, it didn't come true. So, first of all, what was the point in them doing that in the first place? And second, why do they even give a shit if Trump's president, right? That's basically what I'm picking up as the question. I, I hope I didn't put words in your mouth or, or twist it around or something like that. As far as I can tell, their motive is they genuinely, to the bottom of their hearts, believe that Trump is the savior of America. It's a nationalistic kind of thing. There's a difference between patriotism and nationalism. With patriotism, you take pride in your country, and it can go way over the top, absolutely. With nationalism, not only do you take pride in your country, but you believe that it is the best, and it can't be criticized and every other country fucking sucks. So these pastors have this hyper-nationalistic identity, this nationalist idea of Trump and the country and everything else, this right-wing bubble that they live in. And I think that's why they do it. I think that's why they make these prophecies and, and are just completely obsessed with Trump. I don't think that they genuinely fear that Biden is going to take their tax-exempt status. I think they fear-monger with that. They try to scare the shit out of people to keep them coming to church, keep them donating, and keep them believing. But I don't really think that in their hearts, many of them actually believe that's going to happen. I don't know. I'm speculating. We have no way of knowing if they really believe that. Ultimately, the answer to your question is because they're brainwashed. That's their motive, really. They, they really believe it, I think, in most cases. How often do atheist Jehovah's Witnesses go back into the religion, especially if they were 100% atheist and weren't halfway out of the faith? Interesting question. Um, I think, for me, atheism is a one-way street. It's, it's like once the wool is pulled away from your eyes, you realize how absolutely, completely fucking ridiculous the whole thing is. Not just with Jehovah's Witnesses, not just with Mormonism, not just with extreme cults, the whole premise from the start. Like, come on. 
you're trying to convince me that one guy and his family built a gigantic fucking boat before nails existed and got every single animal in the world from the North Pole, from the South Pole, from Australia, New Zealand, China, South America, North America, all of them got all of those things together, two of the clean, seven of the unclean from one section, or just two of each from another, and loaded them all onto a boat and sailed for a year. The whole thing is completely absurd from beginning to end, and it's a one-way street for me. Like, now that I see how completely absurd it is, there's no going back, honestly, for me. So I think if you get to my point with it, like seeing how absurd it is, the number is probably zero or, or damn near it. But the brainwashing does stick with you for a long time as a Jehovah's Witness. I believed it. So I left the religion when I was 18. Basically, on my 18th birthday, I got disfellowshipped. or somewhere in there. And I still believed it for like four years afterward. Kylie was born and she was like three when I finally started to realize that Jehovah's Witnesses were full of shit. Their brainwashing gets in deep. So I would say if we're just talking how many Jehovah's Witnesses come back, I would say reasonably high number actually. Non-zero number. I would say maybe 30 to 40%. I, I'm just guessing. That's not an accurate statistic, so take it with a grain of salt. As far as people who have come along in their journey, as far as I have, atheists, atheist Jehovah's Witnesses, I would say it's a very fucking tiny number. I can't imagine anybody getting to my point and then going back to Jehovah's Witnesses. That, that seems very improbable to me. Uh, back when I was a Christian, they said it was only 40 days. It's still stupid, though. Yes, it did. Uh, I remember that part. It said that it rained for 40 days and 40 nights, but they stayed in the ark for one year. Lucifer Lafleur. I was an atheist going back to the Kingdom Hall, so my friends and family would talk to me. That's a statistic you got to think about. Interesting. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. I, I'm sure there are a lot of people who go back to the Kingdom Hall and get reinstated just so that their friends and family will talk to them and then they just kind of fade away. I, I did consider doing that at one point, but I realized that if I did do that, I couldn't get away with complaining that my mom is trying to brainwash Kylie. So I decided not to do it because I didn't want my mom to have the opportunity to brainwash her, basically. Just different life situation, you know. Birdie Gamer Studios, do you think your fallout with the teacher in West Virginia was all for nothing? No, I don't. Absolutely not. Um, the teacher didn't face any consequences from it, as far as I can tell, but it raised awareness about what happens in southern schools. It showed people exactly what happens when you push back against that kind of thing. Just people being aware of the situation, knowing what happens in those situations... And knowing what people go through is enough for me. I'm glad it happened still. I'm glad that I went through that experience. And I'm glad that I had the whole community behind me the whole way. That I, I couldn't have asked for a, a better group of people 
to help me and work with me through that whole situation. You guys were all just the, the shit through everything. In that situation, I would have done it again. I feel that the criticisms that I levied were reasonable and as honest as I could make them, and she really did break the law, so. Whether she likes that or not. Next, we're gonna talk about Pelosi and Biden explaining why they're pro-choice, even though they're both Catholics. Give us 30 seconds, and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Telltale Channel. Don't forget to check me out on all social media, Patreon, Twitter, Teespring, and Etsy. All links can be found in the description or on my website, telltaleatheist.com. The next article I wanted to talk about is titled, Pelosi, I'm a Devout Catholic, but that doesn't dictate abortion policy. This is written by Hemet Mehta on the Friendly Atheist website, so let's give it a read and see what it says. Since 1976, the Hyde Amendment has prohibited Congress from using federal funds to pay for abortions, with few exceptions, a move that has directly impacted women who can't afford other options. But a recent draft of a spending bill approved by the House appropriations committee excluded the infamous amendment if it gets signed into law that unnecessary and cruel ban would be repealed during her weekly press conference yesterday house speaker nancy pelosi defended the move while invoking her catholic faith in the process i actually have the clip and there's another clip i pulled from biden about his catholic faith so i wanted to give these a watch and see exactly what was being said. Speaker, there's a bill before the House that uh, would prohibit uh, taxpayer-funded abortion. It's been brought by Republicans 37 times for a vote on the House floor. What? What is this guy talking about? A bill that's been brought by House Republicans 37 times to prevent abortion? That's not true at all. What is this reporter talking about? I, I'm completely in the dark here. For a vote on the House floor. Uh, but has been blocked by Democrats. Can you explain why? That's not true. It has been blocked by Democrats? Well, it has been blocked for a vote, to allow a vote on the House floor. No, that's not true. I, I haven't heard a word about that. Am I missing something? The bill. But it hasn't been blocked by Democrats. Well, it's, it, it, hasn't been, it hasn't been accepted. I well, we, we will be voting on it. It was passed in committee. We think it is the right thing to do. It is something that many of us have um, been concerned about for a long time uh, as an issue of health, as an issue of fairness. So what he was talking about is something completely different. What she's talking about is what Hemant Mehta was referring to here. A recent draft of a spending bill approved by the House Appropriations Committee excluded the infamous Hyde Amendment. If it gets signed into law, that unnecessary and cruel ban would be repealed. That's what she's talking about. He's just talking nonsense. This, this doesn't add up at all. I don't know what he's referring to. And we will send the bills over to the Senate. We'll see. Uh, it may be. No, I'm sorry. I think you misunderstood. It, it's, it's, a, it's a bill to, to prohibit taxpayer-funded abortions. No one's misunderstanding. You're just talking nonsense. This doesn't exist. As, I mean, I haven't heard a word about this. Seriously, am I missing something? I mean, Nancy Pelosi seems to be missing something here, and she is neck deep in this world 
24-7. To, to have money go to taxpayer-funded abortion. Well, that's in the law for Medicaid. You're talking about Medicaid. That's in the law. What we have in our bill is to overturn that. Yeah, so what he was talking about is the Hyde Amendment, and that's already part of the law. There's no need to have that. That is the law now. Hmm? And the reasons why to have it overturned? Because it's an issue of health. You know, I would love it if reporters who are talking directly to the Speaker of the House would know what they're fucking talking about before they go in the chambers. I would absolutely love it. Of many women in America, especially those uh, in uh, uh, lower income situations and in uh, different states. And uh, it is something that has been a priority for many of us a long time uh, as a devout Catholic and mother of five in six years. Uh, I uh, feel that God blessed my husband and me with our beautiful family, five children, six years almost to the day. But that may not be what we should, it's not up to me to dictate that that's what other people should do. And it, it's an issue of, of fairness and uh, justice for poor women in, in our country. Isn't that fascinating? So her reasoning here is she's Catholic. She believes that life starts at conception. That, that's the Catholic position, right? But she doesn't believe it's right to dictate that for everybody in the world or for everybody in the United States. That is an honest, respectable position to me. I can't take issue with that. There are Muslims, there are Jews, and there are Christians and atheists and Hindu and every religion out there in the United States. Why would Nancy Pelosi impose her religious beliefs on people? It's wrong. It's wrong to do. And I, I just can't wrap my head around why anybody would see it differently. You aren't serving Catholics as a politician. You are serving the United States. You are, ser you are representing a subset of the population not only Catholics, not only Mormons, like in Mitt Romney's case. So I went digging a little bit, and I found an interesting clip from October 12, 2012. It was a debate between Paul Ryan, the vice president nominee, Mitt Romney's guy, against Joe Biden, the vice president on Obama's side. So I figured we'd give this a watch because it's the exact same subject they're discussing here. Uh, back in 2012, and see what Joe Biden had to say on the subject. I believe that life begins at conception. That's why, those are the reasons why I'm pro-life. Now, I understand this is a difficult issue, and I respect people who don't agree with me on this, but the policy of a Romney administration will be to oppose abortion. Okay, so he respects people who disagree with him on that. To me imposing it on them politically is not showing respect for them. I just want to put that on record right now. You show respect for people who have different beliefs than you by not forcing it down their throat. Let's listen to Joe Biden's half of the debate now. That one was Paul Ryan. Religion uh, defines who I am. And uh, I've been a practicing Catholic my whole life. With regard to abortion, I accept my church's position on abortion as a what we call de fide doctrine life begins at conception that's the church's judgment i accept it in my personal life but i refuse to impose it on equally 
devout Christians and Muslims and Jews, and uh, I just refuse to impose that on others, unlike my friend here, the, the congressman. Uh, I, uh, I do not believe that, um, uh, that we have a right to tell other people that women, they, they can't control their body. It's a decision between them and their doctor. In my view, in the Supreme Court, I'm not going to interfere with that. Isn't that fascinating? So the guy found a way to show respect for people of different religions. This is fundamentally the problem with the mainstream Republican Party today, dating all the way back to the Obama years. They believe that they're the most important and the most correct, no matter what. And they're going to force their decisions and their beliefs down your throat at any cost. Paul Ryan believes that it would be best if everybody lived by his principles in the United States instead of letting them decide for themselves. Joe Biden took the respectable position, though he disagrees with people who believe in abortion. He respects their right to make those decisions. And FYI, I'm not pro-choice. I'm pro-abortion. I believe that there is nothing wrong with it. It's perfectly okay to do, and it shouldn't be stigmatized the way it is. Anyway, let's keep reading this article by Hemet Mehta. This is Hemet Mehta speaking here. That's the position that Joe Biden, a fellow Catholic, has also taken, and supporting abortion rights in general is backed by 56% of U.S. Catholics. So there's nothing unusual about that stance. Pelosi is saying she's Catholic. She was blessed with a large, wanted family. But for women who don't want kids for whatever reason, she has no right to force her theology on them. The Freedom From Religion Foundation applauded that stance. Quote, Pelosi's comments are a reminder that the U.S. was founded in large part on the idea of freedom of religion, which is only possible with a government that is free from religion. The Freedom From Religion Foundation hopes that other lawmakers similarly demonstrate an understanding about their elected positions, not giving them a license to impose their religious beliefs on others. 100%! Couldn't possibly agree more. Absolutely. This is Hemet Mehta speaking. Meanwhile, Catholic blowhard Bill Donahue insisted Pelosi wasn't a Catholic at all, something he feels he gets to decide for her. Quote, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi lied again on July 22nd when she described herself as a devout Catholic. You can't tell anybody what they do or don't believe. In science, we have this thing called the burden of proof. Science and philosophy and whatever else, logic. We have the burden of proof. You have to prove... To me, what you're saying is true. If you're making a claim, it's not my responsibility to validate it or believe it without evidence. You have to give me the evidence. In psychology and things like this, it's reversed. When somebody is claiming they are a Catholic or whatever else, the default position is what they said. You aren't in their head. You don't know what they think or feel or believe. You have to take people at their word. Nancy Pelosi believes in Catholicism. She goes to mass and takes communion and all of that other shit the Catholics do. I don't fucking know what they do. She's a Catholic. If she believes it, that's what she is. The only exception to those rules are with cults, though. Because with a, for example, with Jehovah's Witnesses, you can claim that you're a Jehovah's Witness, but unless that specific organization accepts you as one of them, 
you aren't because it's such a completely perfectly unified structure with a central hierarchy that imposes rules and beliefs on people if jehovah's witnesses say you are not a jehovah's witness anymore you can say you believe in the jehovah's witness ideology and belief system but you can't claim that you are a jehovah's witness similar with mormonism you can say you believe in mormonism but you can't claim to be a part of the organization unless you're a part of the organization they and they accept you that kind of thing anyways Let's keep reading this. This is Bill Donahue criticizing Nancy Pelosi. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi lied again on July 22nd when she described herself as a devout Catholic. Non-Catholics, never mind Catholics, know Pelosi's lying about her Catholic status. So does she. This is Hemant Mehta. And because this is Bill Donahue, he made sure to be extra racist with his comments. Quote, this is Donahue speaking. Why didn't she say it's an issue of fairness and justice for all women? Quite frankly, it sounds racist. Is that her way of taking care of the urban problem? After all, population control of African Americans is what galvanized Margaret Sanger to found Planned Parenthood. Isn't it fascinating that their minds always go there? Like, the subject was nothing about that, had nothing to do with this. And somehow, his mind went there. It makes you wonder where his head is at when his head always kind of what it always revolves around this. This is Hemet Mehta speaking again. Because poor women and women of color are disproportionately impacted by the Hyde Amendment. Donahue doesn't know these things, so he just projects his own bigotry on other people. Whatever you think of her religious beliefs, she's taking the right position on this issue. Her personal beliefs are irrelevant, and getting rid of this amendment is good public policy. If only all religious politicians took similar stances. It's an embarrassment that people continue to attack others for their religious beliefs. We saw something similar with Knothead. You, you guys remember him from TikTok? He was the pastor who was unhappy with the fact that Christians had this massive fucking persecution complex. When being Christian becomes illegal. Stop it! This guy actually straight up got attacked by Christian extremists who believe that he was wrong to criticize people like this. This is the same kind of shit we're seeing here. It's Christian ISIS attacking people for completely absurd reasons. Just like I was attacked in West Virginia. Same shit. It's ridiculous and it's wrong. Next, we're going to talk about the leader of the Proud Boys pleading guilty to charges against him. Give us 30 seconds, and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Telltale Channel. Don't forget to check me out on all social media. Patreon, Twitter, Teespring, and Etsy. All links can be found in the description or on my website, telltaleatheist.com. The next story I wanted to talk about is about the Proud Boys. I'm sure you guys have probably heard of them before, but just in case you haven't, I wanted to give you a little bit of background on them. The story I wanted to address is titled Proud Boys leader Enrique Tarrio pleads guilty to burning Black Lives Matter sign and related firearms charge. But leading up to that, I wanted to tell you guys who the Proud Boys are. 
So there's a little blurb about them on the Southern Poverty Law Center website. They talk about hate groups and stuff like that on this website. So I figured we'd read through just a little bit of this, give you a little background, and then we'll hit the article. The Proud Boys' actions belie their disavowals of bigotry. Rank-and-file Proud Boys and leaders regularly spout white nationalist memes and maintain affiliations with known extremists. They're also known for anti-Muslim and misogynistic rhetoric. Proud Boys have appeared alongside other hate groups at extremist gatherings, such as the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, Virginia. At the Unite the Right rally forever ago, that's where Heather Heyer died, if you guys remember, right? There was an organization there, I believe, called Vanguard America, okay? And it's an extremist right-wing group. One of their members was named Thomas Rousseau. Eventually, after, you know, uh, falling out between other members, Thomas Rousseau split off from Vanguard America, which is who held the Unite the Right rally, and he created his own organization called Patriot Front. That guy is absolutely, most definitely an extremist and a cult leader. No question about it. So what the SPLC website is saying here is that Proud Boys associate themselves with and hang out around and go to rallies held by extremist groups like Vanguard America and Patriot Front, the people who ran the Unite the Right rally. Let's keep reading. Former Proud Boys member Jason Kessler helped organize that event, which brought together a broad coalition of extremists including neo-Nazis, anti-Semites, and militias. Kessler was expelled from the group after the violence and near-universal condemnation of Charlottesville rally-goers. Other hardcore members of the alt-right have argued that the Western chauvinist label is just a PR cuck term. My god, people misuse the word cuck entirely too much. McInnes, I believe that's Gavin McInnes, crafted to gain mainstream acceptance. Let's not bullshit. Brian Brathoved, a.k.a. Sorelius Rex, told his co-hosts on The Daily Showah, an anti-Semitic podcast popular with the alt-right. Holy shit, Sorelius Rex, why didn't I come up with a cool name like that when I started streaming? I should have gone by, like, Finley Campbell or some shit. That would have been really cool. If the Proud Boys were pressed on the issue, I guarantee you that, like, 90% of them would tell you something along the lines of Hitler was right. Holy fuck. White nationalists and neo-Nazis themselves have cited McInnes as a gateway to the alt-right. On the Southern AF podcast, one former Proud Boy who went to embrace white nationalism said he was originally drawn to the group because of its pro-white sentiment. Again, with this whole bit where the most privileged fucking group in America is being told that they are the persecuted ones. Pro-white sentiment. What is with people insisting that they're the persecuted ones. This is the persecution complex. You find this in cults and cult-like mindsets all the time. I saw the same shit earlier with Rick Wiles telling us that his social media network is designed to cater to poor young white men who are mistreated by society. Give me a fucking break, man. Really, it's embarrassing at this point to hear people say this shit. This is back to the SPLC website. All his jokes, all this content, when I first started listening to him, he said of McInnes, was all freaking alt-right stuff and racial issues and funny. Comedic ways to like try to point out that white civilization has been superior. 
Many Proud Boys like him have moved on to more extreme groups and ideologies. McInnes plays a duplicitous rhetorical game, claiming to reject white nationalism while espousing a laundered version of popular white nationalist tropes. He has ties to the racist right and has contributed to such hate sites as vdare.com and American Renaissance. I don't know those websites, but I'm going to. I'm going to look them up later which published the works of white supremacists and so-called race realists. McInnes has himself said it's fair to call him Islamophobic. He announced the founding of the Proud Boys in the far-right Tackies magazine. Fascinating. That's a little bit of a history on the Proud Boys, who they are and what they believe. Here are a few quotes from the Proud Boys. Check these out. Quote, All the heroes of BLM and Antifa are degenerate criminal lowlifes or pedophile rapists. I don't lose any sleep when they're justly removed from society. A telegram channel associated with the Proud Boys, September 22nd, 2020. Here's another quote. The true minority in this world are whites. White children are less than 3% of the world's population. I think since white majority countries are on a pathway to extinction, we should correctly refer to non-whites by their true names, worldwide majority. Again, feeding into this persecution complex, they have to be the poor downtrodden people. They use it like a weapon. It's embarrassing. Here's another quote. I promise you this, Ted Wheeler, I'm coming for you, you little punk, and all your Antifa bastards. I'm coming for you fucks too. Proud Boy and Patriot Prayer collaborator Reggie Axtell in a video posted on his Facebook January 2019. Gotta say, their marketing is really good with names like this. I really think these names are on point, and I would be willing to bet a lot of other people do too. That's probably why they picked them. They want people to think it's a cool group. So anyways, that's who the Proud Boys are. That's what they're all about. It's an extremist group, no question about it. I would be willing to go as far as to say cult if I saw a little bit more behavior control, information control, that kind of thing. I'd want to look into it a little bit more before calling it a cult, but it's at the very least a cult-like mindset, and it's destructive, and it's an extremist group. So let's check out this article by Right Wing Watch and see what it has to say. The title is Proud Boys Leader Enrique Tario Pleads Guilty to Burning a BLM Sign and Related Firearms Charge. This is written on July 19th by Kristen Dorer. Henry Enrique Tario, the 37-year-old leader of the far-right Proud Boys hate group, pleaded guilty Monday to two charges stemming from the burning of a Black Lives Matter banner. So right there, before we continue, just want to say people should be allowed to burn anything they want, right? I'm sure that we all agree with this. I want the, the right to be able to burn the American flag if I want to. That's freedom of speech. And that means by the transitive property or whatever the fuck, he should be allowed to burn the BLM flag. Except, except... That's not all there was to the story. Let's read the rest of this sentence. From the burning of a Black Lives Matter banner stolen from a black church in Washington, D.C. this winter. It was stolen property. The guy stole a flag and burned it. What the fuck is wrong with him? Really? What was he thinking? Do you think he was just going to get away with this? Most likely. I think he probably did believe he would get away with this. I'm surprised he didn't, honestly. Let's keep reading. 
In the Superior Court of the District of Columbia, Tario pleaded guilty to destroying the banner as well as one count of attempted possession of a large-capacity ammunition feeding device, the Department of Justice announced Monday. That's fucking disturbing. On December 12, 2020, the same day as two massive pro-Trump rallies featuring extremist speakers, members of the Proud Boys descended on the nation's capital and, as night fell, engaged in violent skirmishes with counter-protesters. December 12th, 2020. Uh, that was two days before Trump believed that he was going to be vindicated in the election. So if you guys remember, there were like a number of days that Trump had listed out leading up to inauguration. He believed that December 14th was one of the days where he would be vindicated, if you will, and he would become president again. I think that's because... That's when all of the states were self-certifying. And then January 6th was the other date that he was waiting for. Because that's when Mike Pence was overseeing the committee where all of the states validated the votes or whatever. So those were kind of the two big dates Trump was waiting for. So two days before one of them, on December 12th, there were violent skirmishes taking place with counter-protesters in Washington, D.C. Let's keep reading. That same evening, unidentified Proud Boys members stole from Asbury United Methodist Church, the oldest black church in the city, a banner emblazoned with the hashtag Black Lives Matter, carrying it some blocks before taking out their lighters and lighting it on fire. Three other D.C. black churches were vandalized that night. Why do people hate the idea that Black Lives Matter. I honestly do not fucking get it. Like, you can dislike the organization or have disagreements with the founders of it or whatever, but it's not just an organization. It's a movement. It's an idea that black people are mistreated in America. Every time we capture on video somebody being mistreated, this term comes back up, like, especially with the George Floyd situation. Why are people so obsessed with fucking hating a movement that is fighting for equality? I honestly do not get it. Let's keep reading. That same evening, unidentified Proud Boys members stole from Asbury United Methodist Church, the oldest black church in the city, a banner emblazoned with the hashtag Black Lives Matter, carrying it some blocks before taking out their lighters and lighting it on fire. Three other D.C. black churches were vandalized that night. Tario was one of those individuals responsible, as seen in his postings on social media, in which he admitted to burning the banner in one post on Parler. Tario shared an image of himself holding a lighter in front of the banner. A warrant was put out for his arrest. What was he thinking? You know what he was thinking? He was thinking he was going to get away with it because people like this often do. When Tario, who lives in Miami, returned to D.C. on January 4th, 2021 to participate in another pro-Trump rally meant to delegitimize the election of Joe Biden, he was arrested for the destruction of the banner. Beautiful. Police officers also found the hate group leader in possession of two high-capacity firearm magazines bearing the Proud Boys insignia. Tario told law enforcement officers that he had brought the magazines to deliver them to a customer who was also going to be in Washington, D.C. Uh, okay, well, they're still illegal to own, so I'm not sure why he thought that was a, a, good, like, a good solution to the problem, try to get himself out of it. With his arrest, Tario was ordered to stay away from the nation's capital except for his hearings, leaving him sidelined during the violent 
violence storming of the U.S. Capitol, violence that Proud Boys members took part in. Tario could face a maximum sentence of 180 days in jail and up to a $1,000 fine for each count. While he awaits sentencing before Judge Harold C. Cushenberry Jr.? Wow, what a name. That's fucking, that's a badass name. Scheduled for August 23rd, Tario must remain out of the city. Fascinating. I've never heard of a case in which the person was banned from being in a city unless they were going to their court dates. In this situation, I think it's perfectly right and just that he's told to stay away because he really caused damage. In the riots leading up to January 6th, he caused a lot of damage. I'm just kind of glad that he's actually facing some kind of justice. I wish that they could have given him a longer sentence and a, a bigger fine than that, but we are where we are, I guess. This is back to the article. As my colleague Kareem Zidane reported, the Proud Boys have had a rough few months since Tario's arrest. On January 27th, Tario was outed as a prolific informant for the FBI and local law enforcement following his arrest in 2012 for rebranding and reselling stolen medical devices. Forgot about that shit. Yeah, I actually knew about that. He was outed as an informant for the FBI, which, by the way, I don't necessarily agree with. Um, if he's an informant for the FBI, then they should keep his identity private for his safety, it seems to me, right? I wonder how he was outed, but it doesn't seem right to me that he was outed for that. If he's cooperating, then he should be, you know, then that, that shouldn't be fair game. Like, that shouldn't be part of the discussion, in my opinion. But again, I don't know all of the details surrounding the situation, so maybe I could have my mind changed. Right Wing Watch reported then, in the aftermath of the January 6th Capitol insurrection, the far-right neo-fascist hate group has seen several of its chapters declare autonomy, its organization labeled a terrorist entity in Canada, and a handful of its key members arrested for their role in the Capitol siege. I'm glad people are getting arrested for their role in the Capitol siege, but the fact that it exists at all and, and the level of extremeness among the members is fucking disturbing. You guys remember a while back, Gretchen Whitmer, there was like this kidnapping plot against her. And there were a bunch of people from a group called the Three Percenters who were trying to take her out. The leader of the Three Percenters was orchestrating this whole thing and was one of the members who was arrested for this. The leader of the Three Percenters. Just like the Proud Boys leader, Enrique Tario. I'm glad the leadership seems to be getting arrested, but it's like cutting off the head of a hydra that keeps springing up. These are violent hate groups, and they need to be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. Next, we're going to talk about how Monsignor Jeffrey Burrow, the guy who said Joe Biden shouldn't be allowed to take communion, was caught with a gay dating app on his phone. Give us 30 seconds, and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Telltale Channel. Don't forget to check me out on all social media, Patreon, Twitter, Teespring, and Etsy. All links can be found in the description or on my website, telltaleatheist.com.
The next story I wanted to talk about is titled, You Should Feel Bad for the Priest Who Quit After Getting Caught Using Grinder." This is written by Hemant Mehta on the Friendly Atheist website, so let's give it a read and see what it says. On Tuesday, Monsignor Jeffrey Burrow, the General Secretary of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, USCCB, God, that's a long acronym, resigned from the position he's been holding since last November. The USCCB is a conservative wing of the church that recently made headlines for suggesting pro-choice Catholic politicians like Joe Biden should be denied communion, though they backed off from that position after public outcry. I actually remember this. I thought about talking about this when it all kind of went down. Um, the USCCB, a subset of the Catholic Church, I guess, said that, that Joe Biden should not receive communion. How batshit crazy is this? Seriously. Let's keep reading. Burrow, below, wasn't accused of any crimes. There were no allegations of child sex abuse or anything like that. He wasn't involved in any financial improprieties. So why did he resign? Because an outside group tracking his phone found that he was frequenting gay bars and using the hookup app Grindr to presumably meet other men. That is fucking sad. That is so incredibly depressing for this guy. He is obviously hiding who he is, hiding his sexuality, and has been for who knows how long. And not only that, but he's a member of the, the conservative wing of the church. So not only is he in a position that he can't really get out of, but it seems to me that he also hates himself for who he is. Or he wouldn't be a member of the right side of this, like the right wing side. It's so depressing. Earlier, I released a video about this guy, David Letting, I believe, on TikTok. I didn't mock the guy. I felt bad for him that he's so completely brainwashed and pulled into this shit. How sad is this? Like, he can't escape this. Not that he wants to right now, but he only arrived at these conclusions and these positions, David Letting and this guy, through brainwashing. Through indoctrination. That's it. That's why he's there. That's why he believes this shit. And it's sad to watch people buckle down and essentially hurt themselves for no fucking reason. It's heartbreaking. I'm not making fun of this guy. I feel bad for him, really. Let's keep reading. This is Hemant Mehta. Let's back up for a second. The Catholic News Agency says that in 2018, they were approached by an individual with a proposal. Quote, this party claimed to have access to technology capable of identifying clergy and others who download popular hookup apps, such as Grindr and Tinder, and to pinpoint their locations using the internet addresses of their computers or mobile devices. That's kind of creepy. This is Hemant Mehta again. The person's hope was that the church would use the technology to root out priests who were violating their vows by having sex or inviting scandal into the church. The CNA refused the offer. Yeah, FYI... Priests in the Catholic Church are not allowed to sleep with anybody ever. It's a vow of celibacy. As far as I know, they are sworn to be celibate. Never touch themselves, never think about dirty things, never sleep with anybody ever, no matter what. In fact, when Protestantism and the Catholic Church split, that was a really big difference between the two. Um, Protestant... Priests were allowed to marry and have children. Catholic priests were not. Let's continue. It's not clear how the individual was tapping the phones, but it was undoubtedly plausible, if highly unethical. 
Of all the ways to police priests, catching them in the act of a consensual hookup seems fairly low on the list of problems I have with the Catholic Church leaders. Yes, they would be violating their vows, but the priests aren't the problem. The anti-gay, anti-sex vows are the problem. Absolutely agree with Hemet Mehta on this one. This is a serious issue. Anyway, while the CNA said no to the offer, the Catholic website called The Pillar appears to have accepted it, and the outlet broke the news about Burrow. This is a quote from the Pillar outlet. According to commercially available records of app signal data obtained by the Pillar, a mobile device correlated to Burl emitted app data signals from the location-based hookup app Grinder on a near-daily basis during parts of 2018, 2019, and 2020 at both the USCCB office and his USCCB-owned residence, as well as during USCCB meetings and events in other cities. I've got to say, if you're doing things like that, you should probably have a burner phone rather than using the church phone. You don't have to be a security expert to realize you should be using a burner and that the Catholic Church, in all their gross amount of wealth, would invest some of it in something like this. Let's keep reading. This is back to a quote from The Pillar. Data app signals suggest he was at the same time engaged in serial and illicit sexual activity. On June 22nd, the mobile device correlated to Burl emitted signals from Entourage, which bills itself as Las Vegas gay bathhouse. Interesting. The data was obtained from a data vendor and authenticated by an independent data consulting firm contracted by the pillar. This is so fucking sad, man. I feel so bad for this guy. Though he is a moral monster, or seems to be, though he is self-hating, can't stand homosexuals, quote-unquote, I wish that he wasn't so completely trapped in his own head with all this propaganda swirling around. I wish we could find a way to break this guy out of it, you know? Break him out of this destructive fucking mindset and belief system. Let's keep reading. This is Hemant Mehta. The Pillar contacted the USCCB about the data last week, giving them time to respond. Before the website received any answers, though, the USCCB announced Burrell's resignation. Damn. Everything about this scandal just rubs me the wrong way. It should bother you too. Whatever you think about the USCCB, the Catholic Church, or priestly vows, what did Burl do that was so problematic? Well, he's gay, and he wanted to act on that. But because he's a Catholic priest, he was forced to do it in secret. And that's it. That's all. That's the whole story. The pillar went out of its way to say there's no evidence Burl met up with minors, suggesting falsely that there's a strong link between people on Grindr and child sex trafficking. I get fucking sick of this. This isn't just about the link between child sex trafficking and Grindr. More broadly, it's about the link between homosexuality and pedophilia. People in this world that absolutely hate homosexuality obsess over some way to link the two so that Everybody can hate it, and not just them. It's fucking sad and disgusting. Let's keep reading. The site unfairly suggested that Burl, whose job involved coordinating the U.S. Church's response to child sex abuse cases, was incapable of doing it because of his actions. In fact, a large portion of the article spent talking about child sex trafficking, priests who have molested children, and the role of hookup apps to facilitate all that. And none of it is relevant to the case of Burl. It's all a red herring. For all we know, Burl just wanted to have sex with other consenting adult men. Who cares? 
It's a violation of a rule that shouldn't exist, but the pillar even quotes someone who says that a priest failing to live up to the church's sexual rules is only a step away from sexual predation. What? No, not even close. Sure, the hypocrisy is worth pointing out. Burl has probably spent years struggling with church-enforced sexual repression. Absolutely! This data came from 2018, 19, and 20, so at least three years he's been doing this. He really should have just had a fucking burner phone, honestly. The Catholic Church is also within its right to push him out of his position. I don't have a ton of sympathy for gay priests who choose to join a corrupt, bigoted institution, then whine about being unable to have sex or get married or have children. But I also refuse to treat a gay priest as some kind of heretic because he broke his vows in order to act on his perfectly natural and legal and consensual desires. You know, the clergy project was started by Richard Dawkins, I think, and it was the solution to similar problems to this. I, I, don't, I have no reason to believe that this guy doesn't believe what he's saying. In fact, he was a member of the right-wing faction of the Catholic Church. So this guy probably does believe the things he says. He probably does hate gay people. He probably does still buy into all this extreme right-wing nutbaggery. So this guy specifically, I may not have too much sympathy for, as far as you know, being in the Catholic Church goes and everything. But the clergy project exists for priests who learned that as their only skill, being a priest, and no other skills in life. And they grow up and they become an adult and in their older age now don't believe it anymore. And they have no option but to keep lying and propagandizing to people. Because what the fuck else are they going to do? All of their money, their housing, their fucking cell phones, everything is tied up in the church. And if they come out and say, I don't believe this anymore, or I disagree with this doctrine or that thing or whatever, they're fucked. That's it. They have no other option in life but to continue to pretend and lie and propagandize. What are they going to do? I have sympathy for those types of people. As I said, I don't think this guy is one of them. I think he's a true believer. Um, that's speculation. I don't know what's in his head. But the reason I say that is because he was part of the right-wing subset of the Catholic Church. It wasn't just a normal member of the Catholic Church. Uh, it, was, it was beyond that. But as Hemant Mehta said, I do feel bad for him that he got caught up in something that he, you know, he shouldn't have been getting tr in trouble for in the first place. This is Hemant Mehta again. There's no reason to think he was putting anyone in danger or mishandling his job or committing financial crimes like the colleagues of Pope Francis. The whistleblower just wanted this guy out because he dared to act on his homosexuality. The pillar was happy to play along. Their ethical lapses are far more concerning than anything Burl did. Stephen P. Millies, a theology professor at Catholic Theological Union, wrote a piece for Religion News Service that fairly condemns the tactics used to derail Burl's career. Quote, I am a sinner, so are you. So is Monsignor Jeffrey Burrow. None of us has a personal life that would withstand the sort of scrutiny the pillar has applied to Burrow. Every single one of us 
has had a shameful moment we regret, and I suspect most of us must be caught up in cycles of sinfulness that we repeat less because we want to than because we are sinners and cannot help being sinners. Unless there's some reason to think he's harmed someone else, I feel sure his sins are none of my business as much as my sins are none of yours. As a Catholic, I'm bound to believe all of that. Wow, actually, that's really interesting that he would say something like that as a Catholic. Um, the vow of celibacy is pretty fucking serious. You can't really move up in the, the church hierarchy, for example, becoming a cardinal or a pope or whatever, unless you held that celibacy vow. You know what that means? That means the pope is the world's oldest virgin. How fucking sad is that, dude? Really, how sad is that shit? This is back to Hemant Mehta. He's right on the principles. If strangers could have access to everything you were doing on your phone or in your private life, would you feel comfortable having those details exposed to the world? Priests deserve privacy too, even if that involves hypocrisy concerning the church's rule book, and especially when no one is hurt in the process. Millie's also notes that buried in the pillar story is another ethical lapse on their part. They outed Burl without his consent. That aspect of the story is getting very little coverage. That is pretty fucking sad. The U.S. CCB's response to all this has been a textbook example of what not to say. Quote, this is from the U.S. CCB. What was shared with us did not include allegations of misconduct with minors. However, in order to avoid becoming a distraction to the operations and ongoing work of the conference, Monsignor Burrell has resigned effective immediately. The conference takes all allegations of misconduct seriously and will pursue all appropriate steps to address them. I feel so bad for this guy. And you know the worst part of this? You remembered the Catholic Church's response to the CSA, child sexual abuse? Do you remember what they did? Did those priests resign? Of course not. The Catholic Church paid to have them moved from parish to parish to protect them from prosecution. So what does the Catholic Church do when children are victims of their priests? They protect them. What do they do when a priest is living his life in consensual relationships, they force him to resign. That's fucking sad. Let's keep reading. This is Hemant Mehta again. So he didn't molest kids, but he still did something really, really bad. So we're not going to defend him. Such cowardice and homophobia. Misconduct? Are you kidding me? I freely admit he broke his own vows. I also think it's fair to criticize a gay priest for promoting a Catholic church that's done so much harm to LGBTQ people worldwide, just as it's fair to call out Republican officials who claim to support LGBTQ rights while propping up a party that works to undermine those rights. But on the spectrum of bad behavior by priests, this is a nothing burger. The people using private, if legal, data to out a priest for hooking up with other adult men and the people agreeing that this resignation is warranted, all to defend outdated and bigoted Catholic rules that shouldn't exist in the first place are the real problems here. It's a shame that the Catholic Church hasn't progressed further than it has. I guess we aren't at the point anymore where the Catholic Church was running towns and excommunication meant you have to wander out into the woods and fucking die. So we've made some progress on that front. But the Catholic Church has a lot of fucking progress to make still. Really. I get so sick of hearing about this kind of thing. 
thank you guys for coming and giving this a listen, and I will talk to you next week. If you like what I do and you want to make sure I can continue to do it, you can support me in a few ways. First, you can support me on Patreon. That's probably the best way. But if you want to get something back for your support, you can check out my Teespring. I sell all kinds of shirts and stickers and stuff on there. Second, you can support me by checking out my Etsy store. I sell 3D printed stands for every system from the original Nintendo to the Xbox One. And finally, if you want to support me in other ways, you can check me out on my other channels. I have the podcast channel, which is where I talk about whatever's on my mind. Politics, social issues, whatever. You can also find it everywhere podcasts can be found. Or you can check out the videos on my main channel where I focus on destructive cults. As it is with most channels these days, I rely on the support of viewers like you to keep my channel alive, so sharing my work is extremely helpful. Anyways, check me out in all those places if you haven't already. Thanks for listening, guys.